haven't allowed God the space to nurture our souls to the point that they beat wildly at who Jesus is. At who Jesus is. That's the key. Why he came to this world. Why he came to seek and to save those who are lost. I didn't write that. That's a quote. It's an unknown quote. I don't have any idea where it came from, who wrote it. But that resonated within me. Worship and, and being before the presence of God is not just getting into a, a worked up kind of feeling, but it ought to be an outflow of what the heart is in our relationship with the Lord. That same person went on to say, I believe with all my heart that for anyone who has lived one moment of honest life, that the message that God loves and forgives is the most significant thing any of us could ever know. That message that we as sinners before a holy God can be forgiven and are forgiven, there is nothing greater than that thought or that message. That message must cause a sound, a yearning, an action within us. Why? It ought to be motivating us to a action and motivating us to a mindset and motivating us to a heart action simply because we've experienced what that message is all about. Forgiveness, salvation, a living relationship with a God who loves us so much, though we cannot see him yet with our eyes, we can experience him within our life and every aspect of that life. Through all who have lived a life of sin, the message of his redemption, of his salvation, of his love and forgiveness towards us is the most significant, powerful, life-changing truth that any of us could ever know. So the question is this, does that truth affect how we live? Does that truth affect how we come before God in worship? Does that truth affect how we make decisions and how we think about things? And I fear that too much of our Christian experience or our Christian life is we do it just because that is the description of how we are to do it and when we are to do it, and in the way we are to do it. But how often are, is real worship flowing from our life? That it's not being done because that was the way it was scripted to be, but it's being done because it is just simply an outflow of our walk and our, and our life with Christ. Does the truth of what Jesus has done for us does it unhinge us from the, the robotic life sometimes that we man manufacture as a Christian? And do we get loose from that and actually don't care what anybody thinks or says or, or expects from us? That we worship God, whether it's in church or outside of church, from an outflow of what is living inside of us. And listen, I'm all, I like rules. I'm an army guy. I, I like, you know, you get up at this time. 
go to bed when I tell you to go to bed. You, you, you do these things, and there are, there's a place for rules, isn't there? There's a place for, for, for how you do things. If you, anybody got a job here? Most everybody. You got rules with that job, don't you? And we have rules in the church, but I think, I think there needs to be a freedom within the church and the body of Christ where we don't have these inhibitions to worship God the way we ought to worship, biblically worship. For years, we never raised hands, did we? In our church, don't, man, don't raise hands because if you raise hand, that means you're charismatic or a Pentecostal or, or, and you know, none of them people can be saved. You know, I'm not saying that is true. This is kind of what we've experienced. So don't raise a hand. And when we started realizing we could actually worship with the Lord with raising of hands, it started out like this. For me, it was like, like a finger, you know, because Lisa's a little bit more wild than me. So she would do this or whatever. Now you see her lead worship like this, don't you? We never did that. And what a freedom we can experience by, by worshiping the Lord. Now, if you don't want to raise a hand, fine and dandy. That's cool. You don't have to do that. But we should be free to worship Christ, how it's living out of us. Now, look, there is an example in the Bible, I think, of the way worship ought to be. And that's this woman who came to Jesus Christ with that alabaster box of ointment, poured it over him, cried over him, worshiped before him, and what we can learn from her story. So I won't keep you long tonight, but let's just read the text. It's quite long, from verses 36 through 50, but read it with me. Because you know what I long for in our church? I long for that our scripted plan doesn't necessarily have to happen, but as the Lord genuinely controls people, as the Holy Spirit honestly and genuinely moves things about that we worship, that we could be open to the Lord to say, hey, I know we've already sung four songs, and I know it's preaching time, but man, God is moving by the Spirit for us to sing another song. And then we could we'd just say, okay, the Lord wants us to do that. Let's just sing another song. Or or it could be the reverse. We got four songs, but the Spirit of God is saying, wait a minute, I don't want that fourth one now. Let's just go right into the teaching and do something else. We ought to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God, in how we conduct our worship. Look at this young lady. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He said, ask Jesus. And he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. 
He's one of those women that you don't get around. You don't get near them. You certainly don't let them touch you if you're a rabbi. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. Well, Jesus said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Jesus looks at Simon and says, Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus' reply to him was, you have rightly judged. In other words, Simon, that's spot on. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That is a wonderful story. And I used to think that that story was more about service. This lady brought the alabaster box and she brought it to Jesus and she wept and she cried and she washed his feet. And I always used to think that was like, let's take her illustration and say, you know what, we ought to go out and serve God and sacrifice our time and sacrifice our money, and, and that's true, we ought to. But now that I've kind of looked at this more and, and I see this scripture in a different way, I see this as more of worship and how we ought to come before the Lord in worship than, you know, trying to go out and just do more for Christ. Do you know what the difference between Simon and the woman was? How they treated Jesus. Simon opened up his house and had a feast. Simon brought all kinds of people into his home and was feeding them. Simon was serving religion. But who did Jesus commend? Jesus commended the woman who just brought all that she had for, in order to get nothing in return. And Jesus even said it, that she has loved much. Just look at this for a minute. Look at verse 47 again. How did Christ describe this woman's love. How did Jesus describe the way in which this woman worshipped the Lord? She was the dregs of society, was she not? Most commentators think she was a um, prostitute. I don't want her to know what it is. Thank you for smiling. Just listen. Don't ask questions. You know what kind of woman she was, right? She was a woman of um, base means. And, and most commentators think she was that, but yet here she was, one that God Almighty was commending her for her love toward him. He says right here, she loved much. 
why she loved much is because much has been forgiven in her life. In other words, the effect of her forgiveness, the, the effect of this sense of salvation within her, knowing who Jesus was, she realized that he is the one that should be worshipped, not just to have service towards. Simon was serving Christ in some way, right? But that's not what was commended. It was her love. It was the worship that she gave towards him. We see this woman really, truly worshiping Jesus from verse 38. She came to him and anointed him with oil. She washed his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair. She kept kissing him. When, when I come home uh, Tuesday morning, all the kids waited up for Emily and I. I'm not actually sure if they waited up for us or Johnny, uh, you, you know, uh, probably more for Johnny uh, wanting to see him. But as, as soon as the, my little ones came to me, they just were hugging me. You see that? They just cling to me. Why? Because you know what? They, they, they miss me and they love me and they, they, they said, don't, I think Felicia said, Daddy, I don't, I, I don't want you to leave anymore. I was texting Lisa. I thought I was texting Lisa Saturday when y'all were practicing and i said she at least said look i got parking and i did this and i did that and i did this and 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 i said wrote her back and said see you don't need me after all well i didn't realize she no longer had her phone micah had her phone and micah wrote back hi daddy it's me micah and sent that message then the next message was uh i, I do need you or something to that effect. It's on your phone. And when I came home, they were hugging and kissing. Why? Out of a heartfelt love for me. That's what this woman did. Listen, I don't want to have a church that we just come in here, and because I sat on Saturday and decided we're singing these five, well, I don't pick the music, but Lisa picked the five songs. I structured the order of the service. I said we're going to have worship here. I said we're going to have teaching here. I say we're going to leave here. What I hope that we can have is a church where it's not that we're out of control. I don't want that. But I want a church that when we, we come to this place, we are coming here because we want to pour out our love to God. That we just don't want to come and say, you do, you speak, you lead, you worship. I'm just standing here. I want to have a church where worship flows from the heart. Because look, that's what she did. She just came to Jesus and worshipped him. And now look, this isn't a measure of her love for him, but it's an indicator. When we serve Christ, when we sacrifice for Christ, when we give of our life to the Lord, not caring what the people around us are thinking, because there's a difference between doing because the pastor's watching you and you want to get credit for that. And there's a between that and doing because nobody's watching us except for God. And we're doing it to please him. That, and I'll get to that, how she did it in a moment. But it wasn't the measure of love. In other words, if you tithe, if you come to every service of the week, if you serve in Sunday school or the worship team or whatever, 
then if you do all those things, man, then you really must love God. She was the person that nobody would have said of her that she loved Jesus. But Jesus said, she don't she doesn't just love me, but she loves me much. And it shows by the outpouring of her life. Right after she did these things, you know, anointed him with oil, wiped his feet with her tears and her hair, kissed him and all of that. Right after she did those things, Jesus looked to Simon and told a story of debtor to explain why she's doing this. He gave the story of these two men who owed a lot of money. I forget what it was, but one owed thousands, one owed hundreds. But the creditor forgave them both equally and totally wiped out their debt. And then Jesus said, Simon, which do you think would show forth more love to that creditor between the two of them? And Simon said, well, I suppose that the one who had, be, who had been forgiven more would show more towards the creditor. And Jesus said, that's exactly right. What was he doing? He was explaining to Simon why this young lady, this woman, was doing what she was doing. Folks, that alabaster box of oil probably was the most valuable thing that she owned. Whether she owned it for a long time or whether she took whatever money she had and went and bought it, I don't know. But she had put everything she had into that oil to do what? Just to pour it out on Christ, to anoint him and to worship him. She sacrificed what she had for Jesus himself. Why? Because the debt that was forgiven this woman was great. And she probably couldn't believe that a man would love her unconditionally. Think about it. If she is or was what we think she was, she'd probably never, at least in a long time, have had a good relationship with a male person. Either they wanted to defile her and take something from her, or they were like the Pharisees who looked down on her and probably everybody else looking down on her. But yet Christ would look, look at her with eyes of love and compassion and not judgment. Remember when the other woman was brought to her, to him, caught in the act of adultery? He said, I don't judge you. I'm not condemning you. You know, she wrote something in the sand and all of his accusers left. And then it was just him and her. See, Christ was probably the first man that genuinely loved that woman. Why wouldn't he give him love? Again, it says in verse 47, Behold, she is the rich woman. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. That's the whole key to all this. We don't come in here, glory to worship, to get other people to look at us. Because if that's the case, then it's costless. We don't come in here thinking that, um, you know, I have to do this just because 
it's the time in which to do it. We ought to be to the point in our life that when we worship Christ, it is a natural outflow of our life. That it has been nurtured within us through the week-long relationship that we've had with the Lord. And you know as well as I do, sometimes our week stinks, doesn't it? Sometimes our mice die, you know? Sometimes the kids don't do everything perfectly. And sometimes the parents say the wrong things. But we still gather on Sunday morning because we have an advocate in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we can go to him and repent and get things right. Why? So that when we come to worship, it's not false. It's not a facade. It's not generated by outside sources because we just want people to think we're a good whatever. But when real worship comes to the foreground, comes out, you can sense it. You can feel it and you can see it and you can experience worship. And it's not because all the singing sounds good and it's not because of all the instruments played well together. It's there is a unity and a oneness. You've sensed it here in this church at times. There's a unity and oneness that expresses itself through the communal worship of the body of Christ. Let's look at what this lady did real quick. And then we'll finish. Her worship of Christ was an effect of what happened to her. It was an outpouring of her forgiveness. Now, I need to make something clear. Jesus didn't forgive her because she came and worshipped him. She came and worshipped him because somehow, some way, she understood who he was and she knew that he was her salvation. Her actions didn't forgive her because there's nowhere in Scripture that teaches us that we do anything for our salvation. I was talking to Miyake this, this evening, and he said, because I was asking him some questions, and he said, you know what, the Bible, I think it was about eternal security, and, and he said the Bible says in Isaiah that our, our righteousness, our good works are as filthy rags to God. The Bible tells us we come to him with nothing. There was a great hymn, uh, and I forget the author of the hymn. He had a top lady. Uh, you know, we, I, I come to him with nothing in my hands. There's nothing in us whereby which we can have salvation. It is all the work of Christ. It is all by God's grace. Nothing. But the top lady says, I fly to him. What's that? Do you know that stanza, honey? I fly to him. That's what we can do. That's the only thing that we can do. And she comes to Christ. Now, what did her worship look like? A couple of thoughts. Number one, worship, true worship, doesn't care what other people think. Think about it. I'm awful at singing, and you know that. Because when I stand back there, I sing as loud as I possibly can, and it just comes out. Don't I, Roy? Be honest, brother. Tell me the truth. You know I stink. <laughs> but you know what? I just sing. Why? Because the Lord saved me, and I have nothing, nothing more important than to worship than to sing him. 
we used to drive around America for a couple of years and to try to stay awake, I'd be singing to our tape or whatever we were, back then it was probably cassette tapes that we had in those cars, we're old people, you know, putting in, Stephen knows, cassette tapes, yeah, I remember 8-tracks, anybody remember 8-tracks? And not 8-tracks because you went to the museum and you saw an 8-track, I actually grew up listening to the Bee Gees on 8-tracks, you know, so I'm up there, I'm putting in cassette, and I am singing to the top of my voice. And many times, you older kids, probably Emily, would come up to me and say, Daddy, would you stop singing? We're trying to, like, watch TV or sleep or something. Because I'm that bad. But real worship, Roy, it doesn't do it or not do it because of the people around. It's an outflow of being saved. That's what this whole lady's story is really about. She did what she did because of the salvation that she received in Christ. So number one. Worship doesn't care what people think. And I don't want you to take that in a bad way because we do concern ourselves with others. But when it comes to worship, I can't think, well, I don't want to sing because I might embarrass myself before God or I don't want to do that because of someone else around. Number two, true worship is a sacrifice. Worship sacrifices. You remember that beautiful alabaster box jar really filled with that expensive oil? Her desire to worship the Lord wasn't connected to any kind of earthly value. She gave all that she had to worship Christ. Not for the people at the house, not for anybody else, but for Jesus Christ. And I think we forget that real worship does cost us something. It could cost us something as simple as getting up on that Sunday morning or that whatever morning and spending a few extra minutes of time with the Lord in word and prayer, preparing and nurturing our heart, Roy, and getting ready to come and to to give God the glory and not caring what people are thinking. You know what? I love sometimes I've, I've snuck out of the church building on a Sunday when y'all were singing and I just go outside real quick to and listen. Sometimes I wish we could pipe the music into the street so the people could hear the worship because I think true worship draws others in because there's something beautiful and, and wonderful and not of this world to true worship. Not some of the stuff we see on television that makes it all a facade and a farce, but just simple people, saved people, with no specific greatness or ability, but all together in unity of heart, singing because we're saved, or worshiping because we're saved, or praying together because we're saved, or or serving in a ministry together because of salvation, or just fellowshipping together because of salvation. Number three, real, real true worship is an act of humility, not an act of pride. Because if pride ever enters it, it is therefore not true worship, is it? Pride is humble. John the Baptist, we see it once in Scripture, but I am sure it is something that he constantly taught in his ministry 
where he said, he must increase, I must decrease. True worship never draws it to us. It always pushes it to Christ and to the Father. Number four. And I want to think about this and look at this for a while. Because I think in the world, they take this thought and really do damage to the worship of God. That true worship is emotional. It, 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 it is part of our emotions. Listen, listen. Those 24 created beasts in heaven, they are eternally singing, holy, holy, holy. How can you say that and not be moved and touched and, and, and infused with passion and, and wanting to glorify the Lord? The lady came crying, crying over her sins, crying because of forgiveness. And I'm not a huge crier. My emotions come out differently. I get excited, you know. Sometimes I jump like this. You ever see me jump? I jump because I I get so excited. Sometimes we're singing, and I just want, I want to just bang the pew or shout an amen or something. I get so excited, and I think we forget. We ought not to just come and sing. I don't know. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. I don't know any other of the words, but y- you know. And I don't want you to create emotion, but I don't want us to be afraid to express emotion. To express. Look, look. I went and bought flowers for my wife today, sort of. <laughs> I paid for them, but I sent my big son out there to go buy them. <laughs> I said, I, I found Stephen. I said, Stephen, come here. I'm, he's probably thinking, am I in trouble or something? Yeah, he goes, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I said, look, I want you to go to the store and buy mom some flowers for me. Now, I should have told him, because I was, you know, just get her the three or four pound little little daisy kind of flowers. Just, 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 just want her to know that I love her. Just do that. He comes back with a dozen roses. Good boy. <laughs> you know? And and we gave them to her, and she did what I was hoping she'd do. She cried. You know why? Because she felt loved. I mean, that's expressing emotion, bringing the flowers and, and, and loving. We are an emotional people, but then we come into church to worship God, and we're like dead. And we don't express that crazy. It's emotional. Number five, and, and, and let me say, emotions vary and are different amongst people. That whole story about that was, if you've, it, it, maybe you shed tears. Lisa is a crier. You folks that are kind of new, you, it won't take long before you know. She cries when she's happy. She cries when she's sad. She cries when she's tired. She cries when she's not tired. She just cries. The kids are, Mom, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> She's crying. So, but, but others, you're not tearful. You might just, you got a smile on your face, but you just can't think. Just express it, not in a proud, arrogant, attention-getting way, but come in the spirit at your home when you're praying and reading your Bible. 
when you're on the bus and you're thinking about what he's done for you, and to allow that to come out, you know, and just to live. Our life ought not to be that vastly different between there and here and back again. We got the sin nature and we battle things and we all sin and we all have bad days and we all have that kind of thing going on. But our minds should constantly be at, I want, I want to glorify him all the time. Number five, and then we'll finish. Ultimately, worship, real worship, true worship, is connected to the realization of how deep our forgiveness truly is. It is complete and thorough and eternal. We did nothing to gain it. We do nothing to lose it. God's salvation is completely and totally everything. In verse 45, it says, Jesus said, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in your home. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her actions show that her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. There is no believer anywhere that has been forgiven little. You think about that. We've all been forgiven much. So, with that thought, As we come and we think about worship and how we worship, the way in which we worship, the outflow of our life to worship, let's keep these five thoughts in mind. Worship doesn't care what other people think. Worship sacrifices and gives its all. Worship acts humbly. Worship is an effect of our emotions. And five, worship is connected to realizing how much Christ has truly forgiven us. Father, I pray 